Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today my co-host is a newly doctored, newly mothered Scooby and writer. Kimberly Ann Southwick, and I'm going to introduce our very special guest today. Uh, she co-starred in Tim Burton's Ed Wood, is a recurring character on the Amazon show Bosch, and will be starring in TNT's Claws, but you may know her as Buffy's Drusilla. Introducing... Hi there. It's Juliet Landau, and I'm really thrilled to be here today. Hi, Juliet. It's so nice to talk Hi. to you and see you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Where are you guys? What part of the planet are you both? I am, unfortunately, in New Jersey. <laughs> okay. And I am, unfortunately, in Alabama. <laughs> hey, are you guys um, back in lockdown, or are you, you open? I think New Jersey is preparing to go back. Um, I know that they're like... I think they're about to cut indoor dining, so. They're limiting it. My mom sent me a text right before we started because my mother lives in New Jersey. Um, yeah. In Alabama, it's Alabama. So I'm not, our, our mask mandate has been extended until December 11th. Not that the post office workers that I see on a regular basis follow it, <laughs> but you know. Yeah. Have, have all your loved ones been safe and well? Has everybody been good? Yeah, uh, Kim and I both have some Fox Newsy relatives, but other than that, everyone's being pretty good. How about you? Right. Yes, thankfully, my husband and I are safe and well, and we've been quarantined, and I just actually have been shooting again, both on Claws and a, a, a film uh, called Penumbra, um, but, uh, and, and I just got back literally very late last night uh, from uh, the desert shooting, um, and they were very COVID safe. Um, did all the protocols, you know, and all of that stuff. So we, we have a friend that works like he's a, he does like uh, light set dressing for movies. And he said that like they've started, but it's like they're tested like three times a week. And it's like very, yeah. yeah. Every, everybody says, I mean, obviously the actors, we can't, I was working with Jake Busey and we can't wear masks, um, but everybody mm -hmm. else was masked and gloved and had been tested and then retested. And um, yeah, so all that stuff was, you know, it's just a, a different way of, of working, obviously, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Juliet, you are you have something that you're promoting, A Place Among the Dead. Do you want to tell us about it? I've watched the trailer. It looks crazy intense. I can't wait to see it. Tell us <laughs> all about it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it is my feature directorial debut. Uh, it's called A Place Among the Dead. I star in the movie. Uh, and we have an incredible cast. I play an alter ego version of myself, as does Gary Oldman, Ron Perlman, Robert Patrick, Lance Henriksen, Joss Whedon, and best-selling authors Charlene Harris and Anne Rice appearing for the first time ever in a movie. And uh, yeah, so we were actually playing at Lumley Theaters across the US right now. We have our worldwide release December 14th and we're doing these special uh, preview screening events where we get to screen the movie, have Q and A's and hang out with the audience on Zoom. And they've been really amazing. Our next one is WhedonCon and it is with uh, the Sophie Lancaster Foundation. We're also uh, uh, raising money for, for Sophie Charity and it's gonna be on November 21st. So. Uh, uh, Saturday coming up so hopefully hopefully and if you guys by the way if you guys want to come I'll, I'll get you some comp tickets because I'd love to for you guys to see the movie and we can hang out and talk about it afterwards oh thanks that would be great I really want to I really want to see it I I listened to um an interview that you did where you were talking about a little bit about how um people's childhood traumas mm -hmm. are an important part of the yeah what's going on there and something that you said uh, about people being evil mm -hmm. and also um there was some some something else you said about trauma and it sounded like somebody i know that had gone through a very similar thing um yes. so then i went and i read all about it and i was like oh i have to watch that like you know and then talk with this other person mm -hmm. about it because i think that you know we both really benefit from seeing it so yeah. thank you for making a movie about Absolutely. something like that it sounds like a fun movie too like despite like a in it yes. sounds like it's, it has an interesting format despite yes. uh the difficult subject matter. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I wanted to use genre to make an entertaining movie uh, and also to uh, give voice to what has affected many, uh, you know, to use art and entertainment to provoke this discussion. And it, it's been really incredible what's been happening so far. And, you know, it's, it's really all about the repercussions of growing up under the sway of narcissism and evil 
And obviously narcissism is escalating in our society and um, the, the, the conversations that have been happening, happening, the dialogue is just so necessary uh, at, at this moment in particular where <laughs> cruelty and bad behavior and narcissism is, is becoming more and more prevalent. And the thing that's been wild is, you know, we're looking at it in a familial uh, context uh, uh, you know, parenting and how you carry that with you and it affects all of your choices. But, you know, every people are relating to it. It could be a partner. It could be your husband. It could be a boss. It can be a friend. Um, you know, it can be our world leaders. Uh, so, you know, we're all dealing with this on, uh, on, on a deep level. So, so it's been, it's been really wonderful. I can't wait for you guys to see it. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I also really like, because when I first started hearing about um, your project, I was thinking it was just like a straight up documentary, but I like that you went with like, everyone's playing like a different version of themselves. Yeah, it's entirely scripted. It's, it, you know, we do this, this meld. So it's fact, fiction and fantastical, but even the interview sections completely scripted. We've worked with each of our brilliant artists to capture their voices and their viewpoints to make it realistic, um, but for it to look, totally like it was off the cuff and they were doing it at the moment when when it was completely scripted and so uh there was a lot of fun in in creating that and and the movies it's it's pretty you know I sort of use genre to lull the audience into a sense of safety to explore unsafe and radical ideas. It's pretty, uh, you know, uh, what, what you were saying about seeing the, the trailer and it being scary, it's, it's psychologically scary. It's, you know, uh, often things that, that are real can be more terrifying than, than monsters. You know, the, the real monsters in life can be more terrifying. So, you know, that's some of the stuff that we're, we're playing with and, and looking at here. What was it? What was it like getting um, folks that like weren't necessarily actors, like Joss and Anne Rice, and like Charlene Harris? Like, what was that like? Incredible. I mean, the thing was, is first of all, every single person we asked said yes. Nice. It was the most serendipitous, yeah, uh, process. I think they really believed in the message of the movie and the vision that I had for it, and it was one of those things where it felt like this is meant to happen, it, it has to be made because everybody is saying yes. And we wanted a, 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 you know, this uh, a group of brilliant uh, uh, artists who all have ties to the vampire genre. Joss said yes immediately. And it was wonderful working, working with them. And they all, I mean, the thing is, is, is people keep thinking that the interviews are not scripted. So it is a testament to their <laughs> acting because they seem completely like they're coming up with it at the moment. And it was very cute when I was uh, directing and working with Gary Oldman is because in between every take, he would say like, do you, so um, do you think it's realistic? <laughs> and I had said, yes, I, it's, it's great. And he said, well, but like, does it, does it seem natural? And, like, <laughs> and then he go, um, but is it, does it feel like me? And, I, and then there was a certain point where he kept checking and kept checking. And finally I said, um, Gary, I really think that you have this acting thing down. <laughs> you're like, I think you know, you know what you're doing. <laughs> right. And by the way, we also got to work with, um, there's a character in the movie that uh, Gary's mom Kay Oldman plays and she had always wanted to be an actress she's passed away since then and so mm -hmm. um, it, it's it's so amazing that we have her immortalized in in the movie and she's wonderful she's so expressive and he it was adorable he drove her to set <laughs> he was running lines with her he was working with her and she's just amazing in it and has the most I mean like him that that sort of mercurial thing where stuff you know a million thoughts uh, run through her face when she's acting so that was really fun too. I love that. <laughs> yeah that's great I did a theater production when I was in grad school and my my um, director loves pulling people who aren't necessarily actors into like the acting realm so right? I can see how how that can be something that's just really gratifying having been one of those people um, yeah. so yeah, yeah that's and awesome. Did it mesh well when you guys were were working and doing it? Oh yeah, I mean it was it was a small it was a small production like for the department. It wasn't like a big theatrical like I wasn't you know anything huge, but for what it was, I think we did a we did a good job. I, I mean, I, it's hard to say you did a good job at something like that when it's not your thing. But everyone said I did a good job, so yeah. I mean, and the play the play was written so well. When something's well written, I think that it that it really helps with uh people who aren't necessarily, um, 
you know, trained yeah. in something. Right. What was great for us too, is we had, um, we did two weeks of rehearsal with the actors. And so we all worked together and, cause the thing with television and with movies that aren't huge studio budgets is very often you have very little rehearsal time. So you're figuring mm -hmm. out stuff on the day, uh, you know, rehearsals are, are uh, a misnomer in film and television. They're off, often just for the camera, basically for the camera to know where, you know, where the movement is and all of that stuff. So to get ahead of the game in that way and everybody felt very, uh, invested and knew the tone of the film, knew what world we were in. Um, we brought the DP into the rehearsals so that he would see with the blocking. We talked about everything. We knew how we were shooting everything uh, based on that. We had a lookbook for everything. And so, um, so it was really amazing because we really got to put the pre-prep time in, make such a huge difference because everybody then is you know, they're already in a zone. They're already like exploring and discovering things. Cause I can't tell you how many sets I've been on where you kind of are driving home and you're like, oh, if only I'd done that. <laughs> and you know, we didn't want anyone to be saying that. We wanted it to be like, oh, I really was already, you know just discovering things take to take and not just tr trying to figure out like what, who my character was, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, pretty great. that makes sense. Um, and I, I love, you sound so passionate about this. It's really nice to hear someone talks so passionately about a project that they're working on. It's like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel that way about, you know, if I get like uh, an essay published somewhere, I get really excited. So I, I feel like, and this is on a grander scale. So I'm, it's really nice and I'm really happy for you. That's like really awesome. Oh, thank you. You know, we really made the, the film to have uh, a dialogue and it's been so extraordinary being at this juncture where I'm getting to talk to you about it. I'm getting to, you know, talk when the viewers have seen it and having this, you know, interaction about it. Um, you know, Dev and I say, if we'd seen a movie like this when we were 18, it would have changed the course and journey of our lives. I mean, it's mm. helpful sometimes to know that like, oh, other people have this experience. And, you know, as a society, we're not allowed to talk about certain things, especially when it's family. And I think that that's focus. I think that we, it helps to actually shine a light on things and talk about things and say, you know, the whole point of the movie is, you know, there is another way. You don't have to live your life out of whatever past you come from. If it's not a healthy past, um, you don't have to keep making destructive choices. You, there is another way. I mean, my alter ego isn't very self-aware and is doing things, you know, making choices that hopefully I'm not doing in my life anymore, but I did for a long time. And I think that that's, you know, it's it, one of the other elements that we looked at is, uh, my husband and I said we'd never seen a movie where the voiceover sounded remotely like the thoughts running through our head, uh, hmm. our heads, you know, e either of us. And so we really wanted to look at like, well, where do those voices come from? And then, oh, well, a lot of those voices aren't your own authentic voice. They're really from your past. And how much are you letting that run the show? You know, so it's just interesting. So, of course, I have to ask you, we got to talk about Drusilla a little bit. Yes, I would think so. Knowing <laughs> the name of your show, I would think that we would we would be talking a little bit about this. So I always ask um, all the Buffy folks uh, what their, so I ask all our guests what their Buffy origin is, but for folks that worked on the show, kind of your origin as in if you remember auditioning and if you remember like your first day on set and what that was all like coming into this character. Yeah, well, first of all, I actually never auditioned for the role. I went in for a creative meeting. It was with Joss Whedon, David Greenwald, um, uh, Marsha Shulman, who was head of casting, uh, uh, Gail Berman, one of the producers, and had the most amazing um, meeting where we were just bouncing ideas off each other. Uh, Joss said, you know, the, the character can be American or English and I said oh no she needs to be English if she was you know from the 1800s it would and he said yes yes if I can get a spike that's either English or can do the accent I agree with you um I left that meeting just having had a, a ball like it was so creative and fun I did a little of Drew in the room I remember I sort of wafted up to the ceiling and talk to the ceiling for a moment or, you know, did a little of, of Drew. And then before I'd even gotten to my car, my phone was ringing and my agent said, uh, they've hired you for this. It's a recurring character because I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and they've hired you. And I said, well, wait, I'm not even, I haven't left the lot yet. Like I, I'm not, and they said, no, no, I know. But they, you know, and it's, it's funny because I had a similar thing with um, Tim Burton and Ed Wood and it's, it's, 
it's great with um, really strong directors. They often sort of know quickly. They, it's not nine auditions. It's not, they sort of, you come in, you connect, you work, and they're like fantastic. And in, in, uh, in, in the instance with Buffy, I actually didn't even, even work. He knew, uh, Joss knew my work from Ed Wood and from a couple other projects. And then I guess just the conversation and the way I did a little bit of Drew, they were like, yeah, that's, that's that. So it was really fun. And then he called me in uh, for the five final choices of Spike. And so, and James and I just immediately had an incredible acting chemistry. And then I went into a meeting with Joss where he said, let me just fill you in on the whole lore. On I've had Spike and Drew running around in my head for 10 years. And uh, I said, oh, poor you, my goodness. <laughs> and uh, he told me all this stuff about her. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to do that? Because everything he said was completely contrary. He said, you know, she's delicate, but she's strong. She's childlike, but she's diabolical. Uh, you know, she, or, but she's powerful. She's sweet, but she's diabolical. <laughs> she's, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, childlike, but sensual. Like everything was like, he kept saying the complete opposite. And, and I thought, oh my goodness, uh, how am I going to put all of these ingredients into one character? And then that's what made it so rich and so fun is that she was, had so many layers and so much dimension. Yeah, uh, it's it, uh, James actually was on the podcast and he had mentioned like how his audition was with you and how like he felt the two of you connected immediately. Um, and it's, I mean, it's there the moment you two are on screen together. I feel like yeah. Spike and Drew are, you know, the Nancy and Sid of Buffy, right? <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, it's funny that we were doing a panel not so long ago and I said, um, you know that I was Sid. And he said, I always thought I was Sid. I was like, no, 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 no. You were the blondie bear. You're like Nancy, I'm Sid. So apparently we both thought we were playing Sid for all those years. I love that. <laughs> so, <laughs> didn't sit, I guess. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, it was it was really amazing. James has um, a theater background uh, like I do, and so we just had um, a real, you know, what they call moment to moment acting right from his audition, where there was a freedom uh, of like, oh, you're doing this, why don't I do that? Like there was a dance that immediately happened, and we would uh, once James was cast, the first. Our first season, which was season two, yeah. we would get the scripts uh, a week in advance, and so we would get together and rehearse and come in with you know really prepared and with a lot of ideas. And again, like I was talking about with with our film, the more that you do that, just the you know the 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 freer you are. And and they were delighted in terms of you know because very often the blocking is where you're moving in a scene and all that stuff would be worked out where they'd say, oh, that's great. You know, we'll, we'll just use what you guys already have, have prepared. So um, it was really fun. And I think also from the very first rehearsal that we had, I remember saying to James, like, just feel free in terms of like when we're acting, touch me anywhere you want, do anything you want. I mean, we're two people, two non-people, we're two demons <laughs> who have been together uh, for 200 years. You know, there can be no shyness about like, you know, if, you know, it's funny always like you're on a movie set and you're making dinner with your supposed husband and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you, you have to immediately create right. that chemistry of a history. Otherwise it's not gonna seem real. And I, I would imagine if you're together for 200 years, there isn't one inch of someone else's body you haven't seen or touched or yeah. been comfortable with uh, <laughs> you know, to some degree. So it was like, we need to have that, uh, that present, you know? So there needs to be a freedom, like, don't worry about anything. Let's just, wherever it needs to go, it needs needs to go you know within the scenes obviously yeah that's that's great in terms of that relationship um drew always strikes me as like an artist and i think that's has a lot to do with the way that you play her obviously um and also now now that i hear that the about those sort of built-in contradictions mm -hmm. of her characterization that makes sense but then like spike is like you know william the bloody like the the poet right like right uh, not necessarily, I'm a poet, not necessarily a good poet, um, according to the, the lore. So right. I wondered if like, you know, that there was some sort of connection there with Drew's character as like an, an artist, like has the soul of an artist. Um, and I guess she's a puppeteer. So that's a type of artist. And like Spike also as an artist, if you, if you feel as though the two of you played them like as artists. I think so. I think there was an element of um, cl clearly Drew moved to her own 
drummer. <laughs> and I think that, uh, and then there's, you know, one of the reasons initially when I was saying to Joss, like, oh, she needs to be an English character because, you know, the history, I mean, when you're, I grew up in England and, uh, I, you know, speak as equally with an English accent as American accent and, and often within roles. But one of the things is, you know, just culture is embedded in the society. Um, you know, when you go to the theater, people from all, um, uh, you know, monetary class of whatever, I don't think there should be any class system, but in terms of just from every dynamic of society, are they, you know, people all, it's very different than America. It's not elitist. It's like you're sitting next to someone who works as a plumber or a bricklayer and someone who's in parliament, you know, and it's like, that's part of the culture. Everybody there has read Shakespeare. Everybody knows, you know, you go to museums and it's, um, it's free. Like you can just go in to see amazing artwork. That's like this incredible uh, centuries old uh, uh, pieces of art. So I think in intrinsically in these characters, uh, there's that European aspect as well. There's art is part of, you know, it's just part of what everybody eats, breathes, and sleeps. So I, I do think that that's an element that, that both characters had and that they related on for sure. Awesome. I love that. Uh, so I got to ask, what is one of your favorite moments across either show, Buffy or Angel, of like Dr Drusilla? Like what the, your favorite moment you got to play? You know, it's hard to pick a moment for me because it was just so much fun and working. It was such an incredible group of people. The writing was brilliant. Um, uh, so it's hard to pick a moment. I would pick three episodes okay. because I, I would say school hard because it was our first introductory episode and it was when we first got to play and, and, and get established. I would say surprise because it's when Drew regains strength and becomes uh, a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> and she'd been weak and dying from the angry mob prior to that. Um, and then I would say an episode of Angel called Reunion where uh, uh, Darla and Drew team up. We eat the lawyers and we wreak havoc on you know, Los Angeles. It was a particularly um, inventive and, and fun storyline, I think, for, for us to, to sort of be the the big baddies in that, you know, <laughs> that's, that story arc. That's one of my favorite, like, mini arcs on Angel when, like, Drusilla comes to town and her and Darla are just, like, they're in a wreck shit. Yeah. They don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're going for it. And I loved, you know, we actually were hoping that was going to go on for more episodes because we we're like, oh, there's so much that could happen here. And I remember I actually asked uh, for... Uh, I don't remember if it was reunion or redefinition, the one right after, but on one of those episodes, I wanted to bring Miss Edith back because she wasn't scripted and mm -hmm. they actually didn't have Miss Edith anymore. So they, the prop department made a new Miss Edith. Uh, and there were a number of episodes where I brought her that she hadn't been scripted. And I thought, oh, like, it'd be great. I, I think I need Miss Edith. Here. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. Poking at her eyes or, you know, doing something equally, grabbing her by the hair or doing something like that in the scene. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense she would have her doll. It's her number one, right? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> What's something that you didn't get to do as Drusilla that you would have liked to get to do? I think maybe if they had um, like a sort of redemption arc would have been interesting to see how Drew would have reconciled everything because she was obviously a, a very tortured character and an emotional character. So I think if it coming to terms with some of the damage uh, would be interesting because obviously Angel, the whole show is is based on that and, and, and what he's sort of atoning for. And James got some of that when he had a soul. And so I think uh, that would have been an interesting thing to see how this character who would would grapple with that. Interesting. Speaking of her, her madness, um, do you think that there's any roots in the, before she became a vampire, right? So she, I, I'm sure you thought a lot about like who that person was. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if you thought there's any root of uh, madness before her trauma. So she was a devout woman in a time period, the 1800s women are very oppressed. Mm -hmm. So just like considering those things. I didn't, I thought that, yes, she was at a time where women were suppressed and that she had, you know, certain avenues would have been av available to her and all that. But I did feel like the trauma forged her, like the way that her family was killed, the way that Angelus followed her to the convent, killed all the nuns, her and him, 
Darla and himself like actually made love on top of her. Like there were all these things going on that were very twisted. It was a very um, incestuous relationship with with the Angelus character. Um, it, it 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 was such a sort of warped and dark, you know, uh, rendition of what love and is. And so I always felt like as as far as you know the, the Spike and Drew love story was a a healthy. I mean, as healthy as people as vampires who go around, you know killing and eating people because they're vampires, but there was a sort of genuine connection that felt healthier in a way than the Angelus uh, uh, darker relationship. So I think that that, I think she always had visions in, in my interpretation, she always had uh, visions because we saw some of that and that was like a big part of, and, and that would have been uh, difficult in terms of it, uh, it being accepted. But I think that the turn of events of the, everything that happened was so kind of almost strategically done to her by Angelus because he liked the idea of creating uh, someone who was gonna live forever with madness. Um, hmm. So I felt like it was sort of done in a very um, particular way that obviously was effective. Um, so that was you know, my, my thing, but I don't know, what did, what, did you, what did you think? I was curious what you thought, honestly. Um, you know, I think a lot about, uh, you know, women in that time period. It's yeah. funny, you forget like how evil Angelus is yeah. because, because he's insulted for like so much of the show that like, yeah. until you go back and you think about like what he did to Drew's character, you're like, oh man, like he was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and you do forget it because you, you like him and you look, you see him as a person who's been trying to save souls and help humanity for so much of it. But in the, in the part where he gets dark and the parts where he ends up you know becoming the guy who doesn't call after you sleep with him with Buffy you know that that whole stuff uh you know he he treat he's done and and especially I think with Drusilla it was a particularly strategically cruel uh uh way of of uh, that he behaved clearly yeah you mentioned how he created Drusilla and I'm curious if you think there's a relationship between siring and parenting you know, because yeah. Drew, she never got to be a parent, but like she was able to create in a different way. And I guess Angelus as well sort of creates in this other way. Yeah, well, I think, yes. And and obviously Drew then sired uh, Spike's character and then uh, brings Darla back to life. Right. And there is that whole, <laughs> my grandmom, and she's also my daughter. <laughs> Can we get to have me more incestuous? Uh, yeah, I, I do think that it was, it, it is, there is that, thing of sort of almost like that connection and 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 parenting in terms of that lineage um and that's part of the reason why I think it was so twisted too because there the sexual relationship with Drew and Angelus when he's sort of a parental figure you know it, it's confusing to say the least clearly mm -hmm. probably feeds into those contradictions as well yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely so you have Anne Rice and Charlie or Charlene Harris in your uh, film. Yeah. So what are some of your other, aside from Buffy, your favorite like vampire, like properties, movies, books, TV shows? Gosh. Well, now I would say A Place Among the Dead, which by the way, this is a t-shirt I just got today. I was so excited. Ooh, nice. And, and so what, you probably can't see the A Place Among the Dead on there, but I, we're uh, so excited. They designed Modern Films as our distributor and they've uh, made this unbelievable merchandise. And so it's really, and they just sent us, it was like Christmas, a big box. <laughs> so I was like, I have to wear it. <laughs> so, um, but um, as far as other, I mean, there's so many to, to uh, I just, one of the movies that I was just uh, shooting is called Penumbra and the producer directed Shadow of the Vampire, which was with Willem uh, Dafoe and, um, uh, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, so tired because I haven't slept for a while. John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and so uh, that's an incredible movie. Um, I think 30 Days of Night, uh, our friend mm, yeah. uh, Steve Niles created the comic books and also the, the movie. And our composer, Monica Richards, uh, is married to Steve. They're both so wildly talented. And that movie is, those vampires are terrifying. Yeah. They're so dark and, and, and frightening and they're shark-like. Um, obviously, you know, the original uh, Nosferatu and uh, 1931 Dracula have been very iconic and sort of emblazoned into our consciousness. Um, I think uh, Gary Oldman's 
Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula is, is beautiful and sort of operatic. Uh, Near Dark, Lance Henriksen, who, who's with us in the movie, Near Dark is Catherine Bigelow's, uh, one of her first movies, if not her first movie. And it's just wonderful uh, uh, movie with Bill Paxton as well. I, there's a lot, I don't know. What about you guys, <laughs> your favorite, if you- I mean, I, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of Buffy fans, especially in the 90s, I was big on the Anne Rice stuff back in the day. Yeah, Anne Rice, is, I mean, Anne Rice is so incredible. I remember I read as a kid, I read Interview with the Vampire and the Vampire Lestat, like probably way, way too young. <laughs> um, but it was <laughs> so getting to work with Anne and be, and I've read all of her books. Like I've read every, every book of Anne's and same with Charlene. Um, uh, she, you know, it's, it's really incredible to get to work with, people that have created these universes that have become a part of your being by, you know, cause there's nothing like books. There's nothing like reading and going, I mean, obviously I love movies and television, but there is something about your own um, interpretation and how you imagine something when you're reading a book uh, that that's really special. You know, I was just talking about that. So my mom's a big reader. That's where I get like my reading from. My mom actually is also a big Buffy fan. She's not the demographic <laughs> for Buffy. <laughs> um, Buffy has such a wide demographic that way because the one thing with Buffy is families can watch it too. Unlike True Blood, right. and yeah. you'd be really embarrassed to watch it with your family because <laughs> you know, the sex scenes are pretty full on out. And in you know, Buffy, you can actually watch with your family and, and, and as well, right? Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I remember literally the first time I, I've told the story in the podcast a few times, but the first time I watched, my mom would watch it and she'd be like, oh, I think you would like this show. And I'd be like, mm, no, I won't, mom. Um, and then I watched her watching it on like our little tiny box TV that we had in the kitchen on the counter. And she was crying because <laughs> Buffy had to kill Angel. And I was like, wait, what is this show? And that's like what, when I got her. Right, right. And then that was it. You were in, right? <laughs> it's funny because with uh, Joss said in a way, like he made the title, uh, he, he liked the perversity of sort of that a lot of people would be like, I don't think I'm going to like that show. And then the minute they were in, like, they were like, wait, I really like that show. I thought it was going to be something really different <laughs> with what the title is. Like, I thought it was going to be more uh, in line with sort of other teen content yeah. that, you know, which it, it has deeper resonance than, than that. So, and he also said he wanted to describe the different aspects of it, like Buffy. Okay. It's a female project protagonist um it tells you there's vampires she's a slayer it tells you there's action it has a sense of humor in what it is you know that he wanted all of those things because he was blending in a certain way genres that's true it's all there in the title you're right it is <laughs> so what universe would you say drusilla could fit into if she if she could go into another like vampire universe what universe do you think she would fit wow. into well, you know, it's interesting. There's a writer named Kim Newman, uh, and he's actually in our film. Um, and he's a, a, a film critic and a, a film historian as well. And he has created these books called Anno Dracula, this whole series. And Drusilla uh, appears in it. It's a little bit like um, the sort of way that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen okay. pulls all the... So the vampires from every universe, like it's Dracula and Drusilla, and like they all are sort of uh, in, in one universe. But... Um, Let's see. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? You know, I always thought this is not a vampire universe, but I always thought that it would be hysterical to have Drusilla and Captain Jack Sparrow interacting <laughs> just because like Drusilla would be really wafty and then he would be really like sea legsy and like the whole scene would be just so like off the wall. I mean, so. I would, it would be poetry. Yeah. I would watch that. I would watch that. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I think it's, it's funny because right. I feel like Drusilla would I feel like she could very easily fit into almost any vampire universe because right because yeah. she could go into an Anne Rice could. type thing but also she perfectly fits in Buffy clearly which is not yeah. in the same vein um yes so I think her character is like a character that could like she could even be on True Blood I mean she might not be yes. as like vulgar as everyone she wouldn't right. probably like that but I think she could fit yeah into almost yeah, anything. Yeah, no, and Drew Love is great. All the characters, for sure. I, she actually could, because there's something with Drew where there's this cross of the, I mean, we even talked about that with the wardrobe where, you know, there's a cross of old world and Victorian. And then there's like, at the time, there was a whole model movement of kind of like the heroine chic fashion look. So we were crossing sort of these different time periods and different essences. And so in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the, the the rich tapestry that Anne Rice creates, she could slip into that world for sure. And then very much like Charlene Harrison and Alan Ball have what they did with True Blood, um, you know, she she could have lived 
in Bon Tom, right? Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, absolutely. It's, it, she's an interesting character in that way. And that I think that um, because she also spans so much time, she could sort of, she could fit in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think with, with almost, almost all of them. I don't know. Have you watched or heard of what we do in the shadows? Yes, I love it. It's great. It's so freaking funny, but I think Drusilla would even fit as like a higher up vampire in the, like, they're clearly like the sure. lower level ones, but she would be like yes. a higher vampire in their level. More powerful. Yeah. yeah, it'd be so much. Actually, it's funny because before uh, lockdown, I was like, I want to go, I want to go on that show. Like it would be so <laughs> So I was writing a letter to the creator and then I haven't because of COVID and because of our other uh, projects, uh, I haven't sent it or done it, you know, but I was thinking about it because I was like, oh, it'd be so great. I mean, whether it could be a different character altogether, but if, you know, Drusilla could definitely have some fun, I think. Well, I mean, they had Paul happen. Rubens because he was on they the did. movie Buffy. So I feel yes. like you would make sense. Like have you and James yes. cameo is like, ooh, are they? <laughs> And you know, um, Paul Rooms has like one of the best death scenes ever in the Buffy movie. I mean, it's just so hysterical. Like it goes on and on and on <laughs> in such a funny way. When I first got the, the series, um, Joss actually said, don't watch the movie for the, because of the tone, like it isn't what I'm doing with the series. And I'm basically doing the series because I created it and the movie went in a more campy, different direction than what I want to do with the show. So I listened to him and I actually didn't watch it for years. And then finally I'm like, I can watch it now. I'm allowed. <laughs> you know, I can do it. And I watched it. And, you know, there, there's, it's, it's so great. I mean, like the Paul Rubens death scene is one of those that you, once you see it, you, you never don't yeah. think of it. Just so funny. For me, like, that's like the scene of the movie. <laughs> yeah. It is. I mean, it just is the thing that you're like, it's, it, and his timing in it is just so funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like Drizzle is a very much embodied character and the way you play her really makes the character who she is. So I was wondering about how you feel of her living on in the Buffy comics sort of without you. I mean, I know you're there like, you know, pulling the strings uh, in some of the writing, but um, yeah. Well yeah, you know, I mean, I on the I did a, a two episode arc that I co-wrote with Brian Lynch, and that I was very involved with, and and, and came up with the storyline, and a lot uh, worked really hard with the artists on their um, artwork, and had references and the color palette and all that stuff. I was very involved in the other uh, Dark Horse series. I haven't been involved, and I actually have to catch up with it. So I'm not. I don't know what's happened to Drew. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see sort of wherever she lives, uh, you know, hopefully it's, it's done well because she's a, a dynamic and multifaceted character that uh, is, is really interesting. How, how have you guys felt about the, the comic trajectory? I, I really liked, I th the, you know, with, there was so much coming out. I did really like, um, I liked Drusilla's the way they had, I forget how they got there, but it was like, she was a little bit more coherent in um, oh. Angel and Faith. I really, I actually really right. liked that. And I thought it felt organic for her character. Right. And I, lots of times with, yeah. with those comics, I kept thinking, because all of y'all are such good actors. I was like, ah, crap. I wish we could have gotten Juliet doing this. see what it was. Yeah. <laughs> but so what is, what's your favorite Drusilla outfit? Gosh, you know, Cynthia Bergstrom is so extraordinarily talented and she built like, like the, um, it's hard for me to pick because they're all, but you know, she built the, the from scratch, the black and purple uh, one when Drew is sort of strong again, that black and purple kind of chiffon, okay. funny one. And it was, it was fun because it had sleeves that, you know, for some of the, we did a photo shoot at Warner Brothers Ranch, I think it was. And I was said to the photographer, oh, can I play with some of this? And, you know, mm -hmm. one of the most used oh, yeah. Silla pictures is, one where I have the the sleeve kind of hanging over my face um so that was a really wonderful outfit I remember when also in uh in surprise when my character gets strong and I'm sort of having my coming out party there's a, a maroon dress that also I had asked for a scarf and and then said oh could we attach it here so that I basically had something to work with when I was moving and dancing you know I love when wardrobe you've it's it's practical too like you kind of feel like how how you can use it in in the scene um and then you know I'm probably mentioning all of Drew's outfits right <laughs> yeah, the original uh white little you know ampere you know innocent looking dress very childlike and and sort of sweet and 
And then the, I spent a lot of time in the red corset and that whole look that we had multiples and we had them, of course, for the stunt, um, the stunt doubles and all that stuff too. So there was a lot of, you know, and I can't say necessarily that being in a corset is the most comfortable <laughs> thing in the world. So I don't know that I loved being in it, but I did love, you know, in terms of it, it informs your posture, you carry yourself like someone from another area, you know, because you can't carry yourself any other way. Uh, so, you know, it's not the most comfortable to have that boning, on, on, you know, and we shot 12 to often sometimes 17 hour days. Um, but it looks great and it was perfect for her. So I like it. <laughs> yeah, we had Cynthia on earlier on the podcast earlier this year, actually. And I couldn't yeah. believe all the stuff that she like built for oh, characters. She built so much stuff. And she was, and they had a really interesting thing. I don't know if she talked to you about that. Um, Buffy never wore the same outfit twice. So she'd wear it if it was continuity, like the same right, day yeah. and night, like in scenes. But other than that, she never, uh, she obviously had the, the most ideal for the time, uh, high school girls wardrobe that you could wear a different outfit <laughs> every single day. Um, but they, she, I don't know if she had talked to you about that, but it was interesting choice that they never had her repeat. Like she never wore, you know, the, the same dress like two episodes later or anything. That's, I mean, that's amazing. Once you said that, it's like, oh yeah, duh, that makes sense. But I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, I guess she always wow. did have a different outfit. Yeah, <laughs> it was a creative choice. Like they specifically decided that they just wanted that to be like, they didn't want it to be the realistic thing that you're like, oh, I wear this dress every right. few weeks and I wear this cardigan over and over. You know, they wanted that hype, I guess, hyper real and kind of, uh, you know, the other thing that was interesting in the color palettes in the shooting as well as the wardrobe is the Scooby gang and the school was all very bright and daylight and, you know, and then the, the vampire world were much darker and much more filmic the way it was shot. The DP Michael Gershman talked about that. He wanted it to this, that to look almost like, um, you know, at that time it was different where there was a division sort of between film and television. And he really wanted the vampire world to be much more filmic um, and now, of course, with streaming, everything's sort of everything. Those big budgets, Game of Thrones looks like a feature, right, you know, yeah. it's all, all different. But at that time, there was, you know, a sort of def differentiation. And he wanted to bring some of those filmic, darker elements uh, into the vampire world, which uh, Cynthia did with the wardrobe, too. Yeah, I mean, the I feel like all of the wardrobe is pretty iconic on Buffy, like from Drusilla's dresses to like Buffy's, you know, whatever season one baby doll dress, all those like outfits are so like and of the time but still like you think of them now right yeah 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 I would agree for sure I mean some of our hairdos probably uh <laughs> have not dated as well but well, you know it's funny all I feel like all of you kind of feel the same way especially especially the women because the women got to wear like way more different outfits and like yeah my character the like that was because it was much more classic like my hair is sort of done much more like period dues but I know some of the other cast members because we're all still friends are like oh my god I have you know whatever those <laughs> like, the way that I had the feathers or whatever you know wait was that always your real hair or were the were those like extensions the bun when she would have a bunch of buns you know it was funny because we we would here's the secrets of the tale uh -oh. but as my character got stronger and stronger and stronger we added more and more hair so <laughs> I, I definitely started getting like more and more extensions and more pieces and they were all clipping but so we'd have like so it was great because uh as she got more and more you know into her whole diabolical uh fulsome self my hair got fuller <laughs> as well I love the idea of you having more power so your hair is bigger I love that yeah yeah, it's great. Well, then the same thing, we evolved the, like the Drew, you know, I had the French manicure and when my character was weak, it was black with white tips. And when I get strong, it's red with white tips. I mean, that's the thing when you're working on something where every department is, is invested and interested and like all of the choices are going, you know, are lining in and, and creative and feeding the character. Uh, you know, there's nothing better than that. That's awesome. I'm big into the Zodiac. So I'm an Aries. You're an oh. Aries. We have that. Yeah, we're the best, obviously. <laughs> um, but I never, like, I mean, I it never struck me that Drew was necessarily an Aries. Um, I, the internet all says she's one thing. I was curious if you ever played her with, like, her sign in mind and what you think it would be if you did wow, or even if you didn't. You know what? I, I did have a, when I, when Drew was born, because I have a whole, I always do a character bio. I do all, you know, I have mm -hmm. like boxes I, and I keep each character and I have obviously a number of boxes in our garage of, of uh, Drusilla stuff. Um, but I can't actually remember now what, 
What did you think she was? I don't remember. I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> well, I know what I thought and the internet agrees with me. So that's always good. But um, <laughs> oh, cool. she, she struck me as a Pisces. Uh-huh. That would make sense. Yeah. And I think that makes sense too, because, you know, it's March is part of Pisces and you're, you're March. there. I don't know if you have any Pisces in you, but like, that would make sense to me too. Like when I saw you were in Aries, I was like, oh, that's surprising. But I'm like, no, you're just thinking of Drew Kim. <laughs> right, right, right. So yeah, I there's- definitely have uh, the Aries. I know Aries, one of the characteristics is definitely uh, being sort of tenacious and, and stubborn because uh, we have the Ram, the Ram mm-hmm. sign. I know, I know I have a little of that. Uh, my husband is over here. I hear him going, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I definitely, but you know, it's also a good quality to have as a, as a filmmaker and as an actor, because uh, as, as a friend uh, said, what it's a kind of famous quote, uh, you know, you need the soul of a poet and the skin of an armadillo uh, to, to do what we do. Uh, And so in some ways that tenacity, I think is important because you need to sort of be, you know, there through all the, all the punches, uh, which definitely, you know, being a creative person, you, you get some punches. So yeah, and I mean, you're you're a director too now. You know, like you're you're a filmmaker. You're not just an actress, which is a very Aries thing to me too. We like to with the Ram, we like to like take charge. Um, I know you yeah. talked a little bit about about being an actress and how COVID has affected you, but do you want to talk a little bit more about how COVID has affected your work as an actress and a filmmaker and just an artist in general? Well, I mean, it's just been it's been such a scary time in general, and uh, you know, we're thankful that we've been safe and well, and we've been uh, sequestering and and doing uh, doing everything. But it's been you know, it's been uh, crazy in terms of uh, you know, we went sort of from overnight. Not obviously, scientists and people knew that this was a possibility, but I think most of us weren't sort of aware how you know. So it became all of a sudden like, oh, you know to see people in masks was sort of shocking, right? I mean, you felt like you had descended into a zombie movie uh, immediately without sort of, um, but uh, thankfully, you know, we've we've been okay and everybody that we, our friends have all been well and and stuff. It's been uh, odd in terms of work uh, and, and every, you know, the world, I guess, being on hold. Um, it was fortunate work-wise that we had completed our film literally mm-hmm just before lockdown, okay. like our screening, our sneak peeks were like the week before lockdown. Um, and so uh, we were able to move forward on that project and also on our other uh, series project, we've shot 80% of it. So we've been able mm-hmm. to uh, do so much work during this time, which we're grateful for, because a lot of people haven't haven't been able to. Um, and then now when things, some things are opening back up, it's been interesting. Um, Ron Perlman, when we were coordinating with him for uh, one of the panels that we were doing, he's shooting in Canada and Canada has been very careful uh, in terms of their protocols for shooting. So he was doing Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley and he, they had uh, two weeks, he had to be in the hotel room who wasn't allowed to go out. And he had a co-star that was a regular on a TV series, not a friend, someone he met there, um, who apparently after a couple days got restless and went out to dinner. And he was uh, not only thrown out of the country, fired from his job, his series regular job, but he was fined $750,000. And so uh, Ron was funny because he's like, I'm even scared to open my door when they do <laughs> food. And he's like, because they're taking it seriously, which I'm grateful for. But he's like, so he's like, I open my door a crack and I take my food and I close the door. Um, so um, it's obviously, um, you know, uh, been affecting um globally every everybody working i don't know how have you guys been affected with with everything uh well kim you're a professor so i feel like you should speak to that <laughs> i'm a professor in alabama though so you know it's so very... were you working um remotely at all like doing zoom or have you been actually going going in because obviously... so i gave birth in march like oh. right when this started and i was already teaching online so i didn't have to worry about it then but um I mean, I, I respect my, my department and the way that they've handled everything in, at the department level for sure. But they have me doing, I have two online classes and two hybrid classes. Okay. So, and then next semester, we're apparently going back to normal. Wow. Um, as, a, as a writer though, right. um, you know, as a poet, it's been interesting. It's really generative in some ways. Like there's just, you see the world in a new way, I guess, like a you know, all these things you never thought could happen are suddenly happening. So it gives me something 
to write about, you know, it makes me look at the world in a different way. Yeah, um, and I read this article earlier in the New Yorker about um, they're doing these five short films of like dance and they're oh. all like COVID inspired. So right. I think it's all from the New York ballet actually. Oh. They, they, they specifically chose people and had them use the area outside around right. Lincoln Center. And oh. uh, it was just fascinating to me how like they took something bad and they made something good out of it. Beautiful out of it. Yeah. You know, there was, I saw a thing from all the Juilliard students with it, where it was musicians and dancers uh, early in COVID and they were all dancing from, di and they were futures, like, like past, uh, not future, past students and also current students. And some, of, and so it had B.B. Newirth who was, you know, was, uh, had been a student, all these different people um, dancing in their different, places all over the world and it was so touching and beautiful and mm -hmm. and everybody's obviously you know was staying sort of in in shape and and active and creative in their own environments and so yeah it's been kind of it's been amazing seeing some of some of that stuff it's like the um flowers growing through the cracks in the sidewalk yeah. i so i <laughs> i work retail as my day job and i'm like a freelance writer and i have i like i get like weird spurts like right because we're in quarantine and it's like i feel like i should be be able to like write three novels at this point but I have not um right. but then with things like I feel like with like doing this podcast I've been able to those are things that it's like I send out an email you know I schedule a thing I've been able to like concentrate on those things a lot more right, right. because of course it requires thinking and you know us talking but um writing and having the ideas and like that I've had trouble with because it's like I'm home so often. Um, I mean, right. I just started back at my job like two months ago. Yeah, so I, I keep going back and forth where I'm like, mm, I'm being more productive in one area, but not in the area. Like I wish I had written a book by now, you know? It's also hard because I think collectively there's been so much stress and with the election, with the yeah. sort of so much hateful behavior going on and like so much stuff, it's been, a, and then, you know, there's a, you know, this, you're dealing with virus and people are dying and like right. it's so so in terms of you know I, I think it's because a friend of mine was talking to me and he was saying you know oh my god it's been amazing and what's happening with your movie and I'm feeling like I haven't written I wanted to write a script and I'm not doing it. and I was like you know everybody's processing things there's a lot to process <laughs> so don't beat yourself up like you'll you'll do what you do when you can do it and that's part of this whole thing is that we're you know we're in territory that none of us have been in before and you're processing a lot coming at you that's hard to deal with you know yeah so yeah definitely I was trying to schedule any recordings for the podcast after the election because I was like I want like <laughs> even if it went the bad way it was like okay at least we know no one's like stressing about like the unknown Right. Because it was like, I kept saying to Deb, it's like, it's like going to the doctor with some like health thing and you're waiting for these results and you're like, okay, is the bad news? I, I just want to know one way or like, the other. Like take the bandaid off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the protracted waiting was just so strange. Like we literally, our, our shoulders were like, oh, you know, and, 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 and we heard people, our whole neighborhood, like literally for 15 minutes, people mm -hmm. were just screaming oh, out and it literally was like we're like oh my god I think the results are in you know because we heard everybody going ah, like it was just amazing it's funny I like I mean I'm sure we all were like obsessively looking at the map right and it was like the two minutes that I wasn't looking at the map a friend right. just texted me <laughs> yeah. in all caps oh shit and I was like is that a good oh shit or a bad oh shit but it was a good oh shit. right right I know it was wild because the same thing because and also we've been working so much right. and working doing press and doing all that stuff and we did the same thing we decided uh you know crafted like the the actual we're playing at Lumley now we're playing we're doing these events but we decided to stagger the events not around the election right. and then open worldwide December 14th rather than around the election but the same thing so we've been working a lot and stuff but obviously checking and checking and being like there's no change there's no right. change there's <laughs> and then all of a sudden we hear screaming we're like the, we didn't we weren't checking <laughs> we missed the moment you know but luckily we were like okay but, you know but it was just the same kind of thing where we're like wait we're hearing people screaming something's going on <laughs> I love yeah my boss had been in Philadelphia and like we're friendly and he I texted him and was like, oh, did you hear the good news? And he texted me a video. He walked outside and there was just like cars honking and everyone cheering. Like, yeah. and I was like, oh, this warms my heart. <laughs> it does. I mean, it was such a, a close, that was the thing I think that was yeah. hard to see is that, that, you know, is just how tight it was, you know? And so that it's been, and I'm sure stressful on both sides for, for that reason. But right. um, 
but you know, when, when it was funny, cause it would just, it went on for like 15 minutes. We live in the Hollywood Hills. And so oh, nice. obviously, you know, obviously this area was particularly jubilant. And so it was, uh, it was very cool. Cause it was like, we should record this. It, it was the way it was sort of echoing in people and like the whole thing, the way that people were screaming and ha- what they were saying. And we were like, this is, sounds like some sort of abstract, amazing art thing <laughs> going on. So. Right. Cause if that was in a movie, you might be like, mm, that's unrealistic and cheese. That wouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that actually happens a lot with movies. It's funny. Cause uh, I know when I was working on Ed Wood, it was actually based on a book uh, called by Rudolph Gray uh, called nightmare of ecstasy and they he had knew a lot of the characters that were around the real filmmaker ed wood and the dialogue that my character had that seemed the most like there's no way that could is was actually transcripted (laughs) sometimes when you're like the things that seem the most wildly inaccurate or something are the things that are actually true right and i mean i guess that's kind of been like most of 2020 right things that you'd be you like took the mm. words right out of my mouth yeah <laughs> about to say that all of this year <laughs> i saw like a tweet that was like "Ooh, if i'm editing the book of 2020 i'm gonna say take out one or two of these plots because there's too many <laughs> yes that's it's funny that's what somebody said to us to me early like somewhere in the mid my writer friend said it feels like a really like a tv show on its last season when they're putting too many plot points in and and we need some recasting, like desperately. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Actors keep walking in and out of the show. Like, <laughs> right, like, what's going on? We need some stability. And, and there's just so many plot points. Like we're trying this and then we're trying this. And we're trying, you know, it's like, oh no. We just get rid of the murder hornets. Yeah. We just don't need those. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, um, a fan, so I put on Instagram that we were interviewing you and a fan did ask if you were ever bummed, you not, you, you never got to portray Drusilla getting dusted because Angel, Darla, Spike, all of them got to dust, be dusted and come back, but Drusilla never did. Well, I guess if she could have come back, I sort of like that I evaded. I was one of the ones that never, like I'm still undead out there, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sort of like that she evaded uh, demise. And uh, there's something kind of like, I, I sort of feel like she's, she's out there traveling the world, uh, you know, creating mayhem in her way. <laughs> you know, And I sort of like that, um, that it never came down. But, you know, if they were going to bring her back again so that she was able to still still be out there, then maybe that would be okay. I just sort of like she was one of the ones that didn't didn't get, you know, it's kind of cool. She's not dead. I do. Or she's not undead. I do like she's that still undead. almost everyone I've spoken to from the show who played a villain, if they're, they'd be like, if their character died, even if it was a villain, like, oh, I wish my character had lived. Or if they were a villain, like, I'm glad my character lived. Like. <laughs> you, know, you get very, uh, it's funny, because even, um, so after there was a particular point where uh, my husband and I, I said, you know, I've seen all of Buffy and Angel, but I don't think I've ever seen it in the correct order. Because when I was on it, we watched our, my episode and I sort of saw it, but I didn't see it in the way, right. the whole arc that it should be seen. So we watched the whole thing. Um, and then, and he was laughing at me because I was on the couch and I, I guess I literally went ah, when he was with Buffy and I was like, ah. I just don't, I just don't see what he sees in that cheerleader. <laughs> he looked over at me and he's like, Juliet, <laughs> like the piece of you that, you know, if you've lived with a character that long, that you kind of have that connection to the thought process, you know, and you're sort of like, I mean, really, you're going to leave something, a 200 year strong relationship? <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> you know? You're still inside that mindset. So he thought it was very funny because he'd hear, hear me humming and hawing on certain things where it was very much from Drusilla's viewpoint. <laughs> um, and the other question on Instagram was from the author Kirsten White. She writes uh, Buffy novels. Um, yeah. She asked how you captured Drusilla's specific movements because the you kind of move with the dialogue. And was that you? Was that how was that created? It was me. It was the, the that element of the sort of physicality uh, of Drew and the, I mean, I chose in terms of the accent, I chose a specific region and a specific person that I worked off of, um, uh, worked with and off of, um, listened to a lot. Um, but with the rest of the ingredients of Drew, it got to be more sing-song and lilty uh, because of her 
all of the the rest of, of her. And definitely the physicality was something that sort of came out of the choices that I made. And then Joss was really happy with it. And so it evolved from there. But um, it was uh, it was interesting to arrive at how I think it's I started working from after that moment when Joss said, you know, all of those disparate things, I went home and start, started sort of playing. I always put together a soundtrack for each character. So Drusilla had a specific soundtrack and I love it. And it was funny because on A Place Among the Dead, I had, when in the rehearsal period, I was working with the actors and I was telling them how I do that. And so many of the actors showed up. I created Frankensteins. They all had their iPods mm. with their soundtracks. But one of the things that's great is because when you're working on a character and you listen to that music over and over, and then the minute you just hear it, it's like with, we all have. There's mm -hmm. songs you hear and it takes you right back to whatever particular experience. And it's like a nostalgic or whatever, or a terrible experience, whatever it is, you immediately sort of almost sensorily have that that visceral feeling. And so, um, so music is great that way because sometimes on set, you know, you like literally one little note and you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm back in. Like I know this character. So uh, there's many uh, ways, but I think it's once, once you put all those ingredients in, you know, you, you have your ways that you access for each character. And I really enjoy like that element of things. Uh, the character that I played on Bosch, uh, her name was Rita Tedesco and she moved like my husband was like who is that like I've never <laughs> seen you know and same with a friend of mine at the time when they, she saw Drew she was like I don't recognize you like the you I know in that character at all it's so weird and you know she moved I'm very speedy as a person and she obviously had this languid you know uh, uh sort of way and I love that element I love watching people and physicality tell tells you so much about how a character feels about themselves or how they're related to, or, you know, all, all of that stuff. So Drew, it was uh, there, that sort of came naturally with all the rest of the ingredients and, and, and moved from there. Okay. I gotta, I gotta ask since you mentioned it name, like, do you, do you remember like any of the songs on your Drusilla playlist? <laughs> I do, but I'm not going to tell <laughs> my own personal secret. Although it was funny because someone said, oh, you know, you should release that as a, like, <laughs> and it would be like this thing, like, oh, they're just, and, but what was funny is I remember doing a, a, a TV guide interview and uh, David Boreanaz was making fun of me because he was said, okay, well, this is Julia Head on set. Do you want to run lines? Do you want to rehearse? Do you want to run lines? Do you want to rehearse? Do you want to rehearse? Do you want to run lines? Do you want to run lines? And then he'd go like this and he'd put on the way. <laughs> and I was like, stop it. And he goes, no. And then she'd all of a sudden be this like totally different, you know, unlike Juliet, uh, you know, Drusilla would emerge. So uh, <laughs> that's so smart. It's so smart. I make a playlist every two, I started doing it like a year and a half ago. So every two months, so like January, February, you know, March, April, et cetera. And all, you're right. All I have to do is like go back and play my January, March, 2018 playlist. And like, I am there. Like I, yeah. I know why I chose the song sometimes, right. like I, specific memories, I have access to them. So like as an actress and like as a filmmaker, like that's so smart. It is. It's it's interesting because we even talked about that. We scored the movie afterwards and I worked uh, very closely with our composer who's amazing. Her name is Monica Richards and it's a very underrepresented, um, it's, I think it's something like 17% of film composers are female. Um, and we didn't choose her because she was female. We chose her because we just thought she was phenomenal. And there's, it's such an integral part of the movie and any movie, but there's a lot of soundtracks that almost sound like this is the sound of the moment and everyone's doing the same thing. And our movie is very, it's its own animal and we needed it to be like a tapestry in its own element. And mm -hmm. so uh, working with her was amazing, but we were even talking about our next project that we would do with her. We might do it the way Sergio Leone did where he, and actually Francis Ford Coppola did it with the conversation where um, you have some of the themes and stuff scored ahead of time so you can actually play it for the actors and you can mm. play it on set. And Quentin Tarantino does it often, you borrows other soundtracks, but he plays that stuff on set. And then you can see when it's cut, like it's all like so intrinsically, like the music is a part of it. So it's interesting that you're talking about the way you do that because um, it, it, it seems like a tool that would be cool to, to do in filmmaking, you know, in a, in a different way than we incorporated it this time. Yeah. I think if I remember correctly, this past, you, you said something that made me think of this. 
this past year was like the first one of the first times that a a woman um so the woman wrote the score that won the oscar or something yes. it was like yeah. recently yeah. yeah yeah so that's good that's awesome that you you said you used a woman to score your film yes yeah good job <laughs> so we had stacy abrams on the podcast earlier this year um, and we kind of asked her who she thought if there was anyone that might have voted for Trump. And she said, if Drusilla got her citizenship, she might have liked the chaos and voted. Maybe. What do you think? I don't think so. <laughs> I think Drew liked creating her own chaos. Um, I think she would have. Uh, I don't I don't I don't think so. I think she uh, I can't see with the people she surrounded herself with. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm with you. So but one I, time I'll disagree with Stacey Abrams. But I know what she's saying about chaos. Chaos definitely was. But, you know, there was a logic to uh, to Drew's chaos, believe it or not. And it's uh, a little harder to find that logic. That's fair. In the scenario. <laughs> so, Very for fair. Me, personally. <laughs> For me too. So uh, what can fans of yours expect from you in the near and farther future? Ah, well, absolutely. Uh, well, the worldwide uh, opening of A Place Among the Dead is December 14th. Um, mm -hmm. We're having a bunch of preview screening, not preview, pr uh, um, special screening events, uh, with, which will be interactive. And the next one's on November 21st. Um, I shot a movie called Penumbra that will be uh, coming out uh, and TNT's Claws uh, as well that I'm working, was just working on again. And uh, we have another project that uh, is, uh, is pretty amazing. And all of the people that worked with us um, came back to work with us again from A Place Among the Dead. <laughs> and it's completely unscripted. It's documentary. It's, I'm, I'm, it's an interview show. I'm the host. And we also, besides uh, all of our uh, incredible artists that came with, uh, on A Place Among the Dead, we also interviewed Tim Burton and Willem Dafoe and um, just an unbelievable cast uh, as well. So lots of stuff cooking and if people want to see a place among the dead the best place our distributor is modern film so modernfilms.com slash a place among the dead you can get tickets for any of the uh, uh, cinema runs and or the special events as well and let everyone know where they can find you online and everything yeah okay on twitter i'm at juliet landau on instagram i'm juliet underscore landau uh and then on facebook fans of juliet landau is uh the page that i am most active on and i moderated it. it's all it's all me so cool. those those are the places that are good cool well thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate you doing this um oh, I got been so much fun. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find SlayerFest98, you can find our podcast at SlayerFestX98 on social media. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other corners of the internet. And um, you can support us on Patreon, which helps keep this podcast going. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, guys.